Amen to that. I want you to imagine with me uh, this morning. Dream a little. Life is back to normal. Now at this point, we don't even know what normal is. Maybe, as was just said, it's a setting on your dryer. Um, But work with me here. You're strolling through the mall. Remember when you used to do that? You're standing in a line at Starbucks and nobody has a mask on and you're not six feet apart, you're six inches apart. That was just three months ago. You're cheering at your kid's soccer game, sitting next to in the bleachers with a number of other parents. You're shopping for groceries without a mask and there is even toilet paper on the shelf. You decide to go see the new movie at a theater. Remember those? theaters. You book a vacation. How about a cruise? We're looking forward to that day when all the craziness is gone. But hear me, Isaiah 40 exists to offer us a better hope than just the end of this craziness. Isaiah 40 exists to offer us a greater hope in the midst of all the madness A hope that Peter, in 1 Peter, calls unfading, preserved in heaven for us. A hope of a better future. When I say that, I don't mean, well, we can get back to going out for pizza or enjoying a movie at a theater or vacations. Isaiah's message, the context to to what Isaiah says when, when he wrote Um, when he spoke his message. His context was the Israelites who have been exiled and they are now in captivity to the Babylonians. They were at the tipping point of absolute, utter despair. He writes to the people of God who are in captivity, then... And though it's very different today, now. God's word speaks to us in our captivity. It is nothing like their captivity. I realize that. And I'm not trying to make a one-for-one comparison. But nonetheless, in our lockdown, in our captivity of sorts, I believe Isaiah 40 speaks to that. And he speaks to our hearts So here's the big idea this morning. In your desperation, look to who the Lord is and be renewed. In your desperation, these are the three points of the sermon. In your desperation, number one, look to who the Lord is, number two, and number three, be renewed. Let's pray together. Father, we now come to you. We look to you and we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. Lord, we we don't gather in our family rooms to simply um, do a religious thing or listen to a sermon. Lord, we, we gather this morning to be changed. We gather to see you, see your glory. And in seeing your majesty, splendor, glory, that we might be affected by that, that we might be changed in the middle of our little lockdown. Lord, that something about seeing you who you are would renew 
our hearts this morning. Lord, thank you. How kind it would be of you to do that work in each of our hearts, in the hearts of your church. Lord, to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, I want to um, say on behalf of myself, and I'm going to speak for Alex, who's sitting here this morning. For the two of us, we've, we've been the ones that have carried preaching Isaiah chapter 40. And though Alex and I haven't had this conversation, I know this man. I know his heart and my, my heart as well. I want to communicate to you. We can't do Isaiah 40 justice. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than our ability to communicate the glories of Isaiah 40. I wish we would spend 10 weeks on Isaiah 40. And at the end of that, I think we could spend another 10 weeks. Like there's so much there. Glories that I don't think the human language contains. It's bigger than we are. It's bigger than our ability to preach. Um, But preach we do. (laughs) Preach we will. And we're praying that the Spirit of God himself will fill in the gaps. So we begin with the desperation. We see it in verse 27, where it says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? I want you to imagine the utter desperation of those words, the complete exhaustion of the people that are exiled there in Babylon. And I want you to understand that the way the question is worded, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. You know, you know how we say those words today? That's not, that's not what we would say. We say it like this, God, where are you? That's the desperation of what we're reading here in Isaiah 40. They're in a desperate place and they're in a desperate place because of their own sin. They had distanced themselves from God. These are all things, for those of you who are new and you're, you're streaming in um, this morning, we've been preaching through this book of Isaiah. And for 39 chapters, we've been unpacking how the people of God have distanced themselves from God. They no longer trusted in God. They preferred to trust in the other nations that surrounded them, or they, they no longer worshiped God. They per, um, pursued the idols of the nations around them. In their prosperity, they saw no need for God. All of this and more landed them in a Babylonian captivity where they find themselves asking desperately, God, where are you? Except, again, that's not the way the question was worded in their day. It sounded more like verse 27. My way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. Translated, God, we're in house arrest. Not, not, like, not like our captivity. Our captivity is kind of soft in comparison. They were ripped from their homes, taken to a foreign land, and they remained in lockdown. Not in the comfort of their own home but in a foreign nation. Maybe some of those people were thinking, wow, we have blown it. Maybe some of those people who were the remnant people of God, well, we know not maybe, but 
actually some of them were the remnant people of God who had repented and yet they were stuck with the rest. They were still in captivity. I think we often think, you know, if we serve the Lord or if we, if we become Christians, then life will be easy. At Trinity, we don't believe in easy believism. We believe that the road of Christianity is difficult. That Peter actually tells us in his letter that we're not to be surprised by the fiery trials that surround us. That gospel living is difficult living. And so, Trinity, I want to ask you, is anyone out there suffering? Anyone fearful of the future? Is anyone despairing? Is anyone at the tipping point of exhaustion and despair? Are you concerned about your health? Are you concerned about the health of your loved ones? Are you tired of your captivity of sorts? Are you longing for things to return to normal? Are you looking forward to the day of standing in the Starbucks line without a mask? Are you looking forward to normal church life? If yes, then I am so glad because God's word speaks to our despair. It speaks into our exhaustion and our fears. You know, doubt comes in two forms. One, one form is, I know you're God. I know God. I know that you are God. I know that you're there, but I don't understand. I'm doubting your good plan for my life. I'm doubting your wisdom. I'm questioning your power. I've prayed to no avail. Help me to trust you, but my faith is shaken right now. And that might be some of you. The other form of doubt comes like this. I don't believe in God. I don't believe that he exists. This is arms crossed in defiance, in disbelief. I believe in humanity. I believe in the goodness of man. I believe in man's activity. I believe that governments will figure this out. I believe in the health community. I believe in a vaccine, but I don't believe in God. Two different forms there of doubt. To both of these crowds, Isaiah 40 exists for you, for me. It's in the face of despair and doubt that God reveals himself in Isaiah 40. In our community group this week, the one that I'm a part of, we ask the question, what, what attribute of God are you thinking about as we're walking through this? What, what aspect of God's character do you find yourself kind of running to, meditating about, thinking about, considering? What aspect of who God is, is helping you process um, our current hardship. And that's what Isaiah is doing. He's taking his community, community group, if you will. He takes his community group where he takes, him, takes them to the attributes of God to help them process the hardship that they find themselves in. He's showing them the people of God then, he's showing us today 
the greatness of our God, the glory, the splendor, the majesty of our God. Uh, just a, 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 a incredibly fast review. Chapter 40, verse number three. Remember that voice that's crying in the wilderness? This is already a month ago that we preached this. This, this is this is the voice of John the Baptist. This is a prophetic voice that will come. And we saw how that took place in verse six, a voice that says cry and all flesh is grass and it fades, the flower, beauty perishes, but the word of the Lord remains forever. This is, this is the voice, none other than our savior, Jesus Christ. And then in verse nine, lift up your voice with strength. That's our voice. And then he just rolls into what was Alex's sermon last week on the greatness of God. We have this entire chunk of scripture here in Isaiah 40. Who is, verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Only God, only the greatness of God. He measures the waters in the hollow of his hand. He marks off the heavens with a span. Enclose the dust of the earth in a measure. I love how Alex was talking about that last, last week. You, do you do you wipe off the scale, uh, wipe the dust off because you don't want it to read inaccurately what your weight is. No, nobody does that. It's just dust. How does he, how does he put it? The, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Drop, like an like a eye, eye dropper being dropped into the ocean. This is what the nations are in the estimation of the greatness and glory of God. They are a Drop in the bucket. They are, behold the nations, they are accounted as dust on the scales. You don't wipe down the scale because it's nothing. The point here is in, in light of the greatness of God, the nations are of nothing to account of. To whom then will you liken God? Verse 18, or what likeness compares with him? An idol a craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver and change. Who, who, he who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood. And it goes on. It is, it is to display in the midst of their captivity, in the midst of their more severe lockdown than ours. Here we are to see the glory, the majesty, the splendor of our God. That's why Isaiah 40 exists. It's to help us in times like this. Because we wonder, God, where are you? We despair. Isaiah 40 could be titled, God's got this. God's got this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? That is to say, okay, exiles of Israel, Let's remember some history. Let's remember your heritage. Let's remember that guy, Jacob. Let's remember your salvation in history. Because before you existed, before you found yourself in exile, before you were in captivity, you've got this guy in your heritage, and his name is Jacob. He's part of your family tree. You know that guy who wrestled with God? He was desperate for the blessing of God. And so he wrestled with God. And God blessed him 
and he will change his name to Israel. The Bible recalls of Jacob in Genesis 32. It says of him, you have striven with God and prevailed. It's as if Isaiah is saying, listen up, Israel. Listen up, people of God, in the midst of your crisis, your exile. You are Jacob. You are Israel. Your heritage is that you have been blessed by God. And I want to say to us this morning, listen up, people of God. Listen up, Trinity Community Church. Listen up, every believer in Jesus Christ who can hear my voice. You have a history. You have a heritage. No, it's not uh, you are Jacob, you are Israel. You, my friends, are Christian, which means you are in Christ. This is your heritage. And we're not looking to a man like Jacob who wrestled with God. We are looking to a savior who wrestled and strived and accomplished your salvation on your behalf. Praise be to our God. This is your heritage, church, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. To the despairing. Number two, look to who the Lord is. Verse number 28. Have you not known? I ask you, church, have you not known? Have you not heard? You've, you've heard. The Lord is an everlasting God. We'll pick that up in just a moment, but where do you go in your desperation? Where do you turn in your fear? Where do you go when you doubt? I want to exhort you, run to the character, the attributes of God. In times of desperation, dig into the truths of who God is. What, what do we need in our day of this viral madness? We need less Fox News. We need less CNN News. We need less whatever your news source is. We need less from secular news sources, and we need more eternal truths. And we need something more than a medical breakthrough. I know we're praying for that. But we need more than that. We need conviction. We need the attributes of God. What do we need from those who are taking a more careful approach? Might I even say a fear-based approach? We need the attributes of God. What do we need from those who are taking a more radical approach, maybe a risky approach, or maybe you could say even a flippant approach. We need the attributes of God in both instances. Listen, now is a great time to pull away from social media. Now is a great time to pull away from all the discord and not just fill that with blank space, fill that with digging into who God is, the character of God, the attributes of God. This morning, I tossed up on a blog this morning. You can go to our website, you can click on blog, and I just listed a quick list of great resources to help you dig into a study of who God is. 
I would encourage you sometime later on this afternoon to look at that blog, order yourself a book on the attributes of God, and let the study begin. See, we all have more time now than perhaps we did a few months ago. How are you stewarding that time? So it says, have you not known? Have you not heard? It's a rhetorical question. You've heard. You know. The Lord is an everlasting God. You see, what's amazing about that is we are created beings, which means we're not everlasting. We have a starting point. We measure everything in time. We have a birth date, a beginning. We have a death certificate, an end. We, we can mark the day um, where we came into this world. Of course, we know that we began in the womb, but the birth certificate states the day and the time. We really can't grasp what it is to say, everlasting God, no beginning, no end. How great is our God in the midst of all that we're experiencing in our day? Have you not known? Have you not heard? Our God is the everlasting God. He is not limited in time. He has no boundaries of time. He never began. Now I have a hard time with that. That's bigger than my brain can, can comprehend. Our God is the everlasting God. No limitations of, of time. He cannot be measured by time. We measure everything with time. We are living time. And nothing says time like the birth certificate and the death certificate. Marking our beginning and our end. But there is no such mark for our God. He's the everlasting God, unconfined to time. The Lord is the everlasting God. He says, the creator of the ends of the earth. He, he, he created it all to the ends of the earth, all of it, every bit of it, all that is, is because God is. He created everything. Nothing that is exists outside of our God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. Fly to the end of the earth. And guess what? You're going to find God's creation. Get on a plane, fly to the other end of the earth. Guess what we're going to find there? God's creation and everything in between. There is no place that you can go outside of the handiwork of our God. Where God's glory, God's create, creation glory is on display. There's no place you can go outside of his created glories. Every person, every animal, every landscape, every star in the galaxies, every fingerprint, every DNA, every drop of water in the world's oceans displays the glory of our creator God. And isn't that what Psalm 139 is partially about? Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in 
behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain it. All these are the things we need to be meditating on, considering in the midst of our little COVID-19 lockdown. Where should I go from your spirit? Or where should I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not too dark for you is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I would count them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. He's the creator. He's the creator and there is not a single inch on this universe that you can go to that does not exist because God created it. His glory, his power, his beauty is on display no matter where you go in his creation. Not a single molecule exists outside of him creating that molecule. Not a grain of sand exists on all of our beaches that he did not create that grain of sand. Not a drop in the ocean exists outside of our God created that drop in the ocean. Not a single person exists outside of God created you. And so in your living room right now, God is there. In the midst of COVID-19 isolation, God is there. If we might find ourselves in an ICU room in the near future, God is there. In your social distancing, God is not distant. He is there. Not only did he create you, but if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he recreated you. You are not just a a being who has life, but through Christ, you are a being who has new life in Christ Jesus. He is the creator of your life. He is the creator of your new life in Christ. He does not faint. Again, here in verse 28, he does not faint or grow weary, meaning, meaning he doesn't grow tired. As he works out your salvation, he has never grown tired doing so. As he created the universe, he did not grow tired. You, know, you and me, we go to work, we come home, what, we're, we're tired. I need a rest, I need a break. We fall asleep, we grow weary. We sleep one-third of our lifetime away because we need sleep. 
right? We go, we, it, it, we've all done it at some point in time where we went an entire day without sleep, 24 hours. And what? We're wrecked. We can't think straight. We, we feel it physically. Our immunities um, aren't, our, our immune system isn't working well. We, we were created for sleep. We work, we grow tired, but not our God. He does not grow weary. He does not faint. He doesn't need to recuperate. He doesn't, he doesn't create or he doesn't do some magnificent work on our behalf and suddenly go, I'm exhausted God has never been exhausted. He doesn't work really hard and feel the need to recuperate. He doesn't say, I'm wiped out. I'm done. I need to take a break. God has never done anything and felt wiped out. He did rest on the seventh day, not because he was exhausted, but to display for us that we are not like him and we need rest. We rest from our work and we are to rest in our salvation that he's provided. I wonder what did God accomplish last night while we slept? Can you even begin to imagine all that God's accomplished in the one third of your life, my life while we slept? God never grows tired. The end of verse 28 his understanding is unsearchable. In, in other words, he is, his wisdom is beyond us. We can't figure God out. It's not to say that we can't know things about God. Rather, it's to say God is beyond us. God is beyond our ability to contain him in our small little created brains. He's bigger than you and I are. And there's two ways to respond to the wisdom of God is unsearchable. For some, they respond in frustration and anger. For others, they respond in glory and worship of him. One person responds angrily, demanding, frustrated. This person doesn't understand the wisdom that's beyond him or her. And so they reject God. They shake their fist at God. This is, this is a pride. This is a, the, the, the pride in, in that starts to think, oh, I should have God all figured out. I should be able to contain him as a created being. I ought to be able to figure out all the glories of God. The other response is a response of worship. It's a response of awe. It's a response of Wow. My God is beyond my ability to figure out. He's beyond my ability to con contain him. I would rather worship him than grow angry with him. I want to stand in awe of him. I am humbled to the core. He's the creator. I'm the created. I, for one, am glad I can't figure out God, that I can't contain him, that I can't shrink him down to my created mind, mind's ability to grasp all that is God. I'm glad I can't figure him out. How small would God be if our created brains could grasp his glory and wisdom? The creator must be bigger than the created. If he wasn't, that would surely 
be greatly disappointing. If I could fully grasp him, his ways, his wisdom, he would be finite. I would be disappointed. He would be incredibly small. He can't be contained to our minds. He can't be reduced to a textbook. He is infinite in his wisdom. Well, then it says in verse 29, he gives power to the faint. And I'm just going to use that point to transition to my final point. Number three, we are renewed. Verses 29 through 31, we are renewed. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. To the the weak, to those who have no might. And here's, here's an illustration of that. Even youths, what does that mean? Even, even the young person, even the one who's strong, youthfulness shall faint and be weary. And young men shall, be, shall fall exhausted. This is Isaiah's way of saying that in our weakness, God is, re- is, is revealed, excuse me, God is revealed as strong. Church, Grow weak. Grow weak. Here's what I love about COVID-19. Am I allowed to say that? It's an opportunity for his people to grow weak. When I say that, I mean to grow needy for God. Because in our prosperity, we don't think we need him all that much. This is a great time for his church, his bride, his people to get weak that we might look to him for our strength. Now that is, I realize, so anti-culture. Culture tells us to pull yourself up, be strong, show yourself strong. Goodness gracious, even in the church today, a, a pastor shouldn't be telling the church, grow weak. Think positive. The gospel, the prosperity gospel would come in and say, speak positive. Put positive things. The new age movement would say, put positive things out into the universe. Go the extra mile. Pull yourself up. Be all that you can be. Culture will tell you to be strong, but the Bible will tell you to be weak. Recognize you are weak because it isn't until we come to the end of ourselves, to a place of weakness, to a place of I cannot do it, to a place of God, I need you. That's where God shows himself strong for his own glory. You see, it's not in your own strength that he is made strong. It's in your weakness that he is made strong. That's the, that's the entire Old Testament. That's, no, that's the entire Bible. We have these episodes in our Old Testament of people that we've, we've made out to be great men of God or women of God, and that's not the point. They're not great men or women of God. They are weak individuals and yet God comes through 
to reveal not the glory of David, not the glory of Gideon, not the glory of Abraham, not the glory that's being revealed is God and God alone. And the same is true in our day. This is not a moment for the church to kind of bolster itself and stick its chest out and say, look how strong we are. It's an opportunity for us to grow weak and to look to the Lord for strength. It's in your weakness, church, that he is made strong. So I say to you, come to him in your desperation. He can handle it. Come to him in your exhaustion. When I say come to him, I mean come to who God is. Come to the attributes of God. Come there and find your rest in who God is. On the one hand, we are shown God who does not faint or grow weary. That's in verse 28. And then that's contrasted with even the youth faint. They fall exhausted. That's where, church, our self-sufficiency gets exposed. It's when we finally come to an end of ourselves where we can humbly cry out to God. Yeah, I'm weak. God, I need you. Because our God has never come to the place where he's weak and exhausted or weary. So are you weak in faith? Good. Come to Jesus. Are you exhausted? Good. Come to Jesus. Are you weary? Good. Come to Jesus. Are you weak in courage? Good. Are you at the end of your rope? Good. Are you out of strength? Good, good, good. Do you feel like you're ready to quit? Good, good. Come to Jesus. Come to the end of yourself and come to Jesus. And in your weakness, he will reveal himself as strong. This is not a call, church, to boost yourself up, to dress yourself up in positive thoughts, to, to run to a prosperity gospel and confess good things. No, my friends, get Weak and find the Lord. Find who he is. Find his attributes. How do you do this? You press in to God and all that he is. Listen to the call of Isaiah 40 and run to him. Rest in him. Rest in who he is. Look to his greatness. Look to his glory. And what I'm saying to you, what Isaiah 40 is saying to you, that will sustain you in your captivity, Israel. That will sustain you in your lockdown, church. The chapter ends, verse 31, so familiar. I'm afraid myself and probably many of you have quoted it out of context. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I've heard that quoted in so many prayer meetings. I don't even know how many times. If you've quoted it wrongly, then join with me. It's, it's typically quoted as some sort of way to kind of bolster ourselves up. Let's wait on God and let's get strong. 
Now, the, the context is you're waiting on God is that, is that intentional going back to who God is. It's all the content that we've preached through and Alex preached through last week. It is all the attributes of God, the glories of God, the splendors of God. This, not ourselves, is, is what we wait on. And yes, he will renew your strength. The weak are being called on here to wait on God and they will soar like eagles. Why? Because they are found in God and who God is. They will run and not faint. Why? Because they are found in who God is. They will walk and not grow weary. Why? Because they're found in God. He is our source for the soaring, the running and the walking that allows us to not grow weary. He is who we look to in the midst of this lockdown. The truths about who he is will sustain you even in your weariness this morning. Isaiah is not calling you to willpower your way through it. He's calling you, consider your God. So wait on him daily, every day. In the good and in the struggle, wait on him. Wait with conviction. Wait with confidence. Your God is able. Your God is good and wise, and he has a purpose, and he's faithful, and he's sovereign, and he's steadfast. My God's got this. Ray Ortland Jr. says it like this, to wait for the Lord means to live in confident, eager suspense. It means to live with the tension of promises revealed, but not yet fulfilled. This waiting is not killing time. It isn't sitting around drumming your fingers, if I could add to it. It isn't endlessly scrolling the screen. It's waiting on tiptoe, waiting with eager longing. It is forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead and pressing toward the, on toward the goal. It is an erratic burst of hyperactivity within a general pattern of boredom. It is steady, rugged progress, sustained by the conviction that the display of God's glory in Christ is yours. Isn't that what faith is? Did we somehow come to this viral madness moment and begin to think, I no longer need faith or I no longer need to look to God, to trust in him, to trust in who he is? He is able, church. He is sovereign. He is good. He is wise. He is all-powerful. He is without measure of time. He is the everlasting God. Can you wait for him? right now in this season of viral madness? Can you pull away from your devices and wait for him and press into him? Those who do, God's word says over you, they will mount up with wings like eagles. I personally don't want a quick fix for viral madness. For Trinity, my prayer is that the church would see what we're going through and dig in. Get all that God has for us in these incredibly unusual times. Well, church, I want to invite you, stand back up with me and let's respond in singing. Right there in your living room, let's worship our God.